0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the start of the 2022 prospect week at Sox Machine. Taking an in-depth look at the White Sox farm system, highlighting the players that could possibly become the next wave of talent, In reaching the south side, joining me is one of our best friends of the show. He's a senior writer for MLB.com. It's Jim Callis, and hello, Jim. Thanks for joining us again on the Sox Machine podcast. And this is not the same quality White Sox farm system that we have spoken about in recent years.
2: No, it's not. But I mean, the thing is, we did see this coming. We talked about it. You know, when they had you know as good a farm system as anybody in the game, you know, two three years ago. We, we noted that, you know, when these guys were you know, going to graduate to the big leagues and they've graduated a bunch of them, that the big league team should become a contender and the farm system rankings were probably not going to be as, as pretty. Um, and that's what happened. But again, I mean, you know, you're a White Sox fan. I mean, I think you'd rather have contending big league club clubs <laughs> and, and lesser, uh, lesser uh, farm system than the other way around, right?
1: Of course. Of course. It's just... For White Sox fans, looking at the prospect rankings, like 1 through 30 for team rankings, we see a lot of other postseason teams in the bottom half. But then we see Tampa, and we see the Dodgers, and the Red Sox are up there as well. What's the difference between those three teams to still be very competitive, maybe World Series aspirations for all three coming into this season, and still have a quality farm system where the other teams that are the postseason contenders the talent pool is, is a bit more shallow. Yeah, I mean,
2: I would, I would argue, I think a little bit that, that I mean, look, the, 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 the Rays are the exception to the rule. I mean, the Rays have, you know, arguably, you know, I think as good a farm system as in baseball, is right there with anybody. And I mean, they kind of have to, <laughs> out of necessity, really, because they don't have the money to spend the big league level. If they, you know, like when we saw it, you know, they had, they went through a wall after they drafted. David Price and Matt Moore in 2007, they went through a roll of about four or five years, but they just didn't draft well, and they didn't contend. So, I mean, they, they kind of do it out of sheer necessity. I, I do think the Dodgers and, and Red Sox have solid punk systems, but, but honestly, I, I, they're more kind of middle of the pack. If they're in the top ten, I think they're more toward the end of the top ten. Um, mm. uh, you know, and, and, and again, I think it's just cyclical. I mean, you know, if we were having this conversation with Red Sox fans a couple of years ago, you know their farm system was ranking in the 20s after they won the World Series. You know they they, they took a step backwards. Um, they they had a terrible 2020 in the shortened season. Um, and then again, I mean, you know the, the Dodgers. I think you know the Dodgers would be the, the I guess the franchise I just I, I aspire to. Like if you could pick a model franchise, obviously they've had a lot of success. They won a ton of games last year. So they didn't win the World Series, but they spend at the big league level and they spend at the minor league level. And I think in terms not just of, of scouting internationally, dom- domestically, even making trades for guys like Chris Taylor who weren't highly regarded when they got them, um, things like that, I just think they do a wonderful job of developing players and getting the most out of them. And, and there's numerous examples of guys who had limitations coming out of the draft. And then a couple years later, like, wow, this guy's a lot better. So I, I think the Dodgers are kind of like a, a, you know, a, all by themselves, Josh, in terms of resources and ability to develop. And I think the Rays wish they had the Dodgers resources, but are right there in terms of development.
1: So looking at the White Sox top 30, they do not have a prospect in the top 100 for MOP.com. The number one prospect for the White Sox is 2021 first rounder, Colson Montgomery, uh, who hit 287. He had a 396 on base uh, percentage in rookie ball. It's just 26 games. So very small sample size. Jim, why is Montgomery the number one prospect for the White Sox currently?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we've talked about this maybe on your podcast in the past, where I point out it's not necessarily a good time to have your first-round pick be your number one prospect unless you're picking at the top of the draft. Um, you know, I, I do fully believe, and it's funny, there are teams that disagree with this when I talk prospects with them. When we do our list, we're basing guys on long-term potential production. It's not, mm-hmm. hey, what have you done? I mean, crack record matters. But, you know, like, I'm not going to say not rank Jack Leiter as the Rangers' number one prospect if he hasn't thrown a professional pitch yet. You know, I mean, Jack Leiter's pretty good. Um, I mean, I, I think that you, you can look at this glass half empty, glass half full. The glass half full side is Colton Montgomery's really talented. I mean, the comparison everybody always makes is he's a six foot four, left-handed hitting, you know, offensive upside, shortstop, is Corey figure and that would be a pretty good player. You know, I'm not convinced he stays shortstop in the long run, but he, he would definitely profile at third. Um, he's got a chance to hit for average and power. I, I really like Folsom Montgomery. You know, the glass half empty side would be, you know, in an ideal world, when you're picking in the 20s, maybe you'd like to have some guys in the system who are more established and also have high feelings, and I just don't know that they have that guy. I mean, you could – I mean, from your perspective, Josh, I don't even know who else you would really argue necessarily. Like, maybe Yoelki Suspetis if you're all in on the bat, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't know who else you could argue as the number one prospect in their system
1: right now. Well, speaking of s- Suspetis, he's the number two pick, uh, number two prospect for the White Sox. When you look at his slash line at AA, that's pretty good, especially for his first year playing in the States. But we've talked about it in our podcast, the high ground ball rate has to get cut down. And he's a White Sox prospect, so we look at walk rate, and that was pretty low in 2021. The thing with Cespedes is the White Sox right field situation, Jim. That there are some White Sox fans thinking, well, if they're going to throw Adam Engel, who has health issues with his hamstrings... Or they even contemplate again putting Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets in right field. Could Cespedes one day, maybe in 2022, could we see him in Chicago? And we have been going back and forth on this topic, thinking he needs more seasoning in the minor leagues. Do you think he's close to the major leagues?
2: You know, I kind of was too much of him, and and I just want to point out to you (laughs) that, Unfortunately, because of the lockout, we have not updated our list. So these are kind of our end of season 2021 list. We will have new lists out at some point after the lockout. End. Um, so these, these are last season rankings. But I, I think I would still, if we'd updated the rankings like we normally would have by this time, I still would have Montgomery one and, and Suspettis two. Um, you know, you can look at Suspettis' year last year too. So, you know, we talked about him a lot last year, Josh. And, you know, you know obviously the White Sox, you know, we're thrilled to get him. And there's also other organizations that really question the bat and the pitch recognition and the ability to control the strike zone. And all that said, you know, he went out and hit 285, you know, and, and, and hit almost 300 in A when he got there for the final month of the season. As you said, you know, a lot of ground balls, not a ton of homers, you know, had a 5-to-1 strikeout block ratio that was 9-to-1 in A. And so, like, you, you saw off the pod signs, like, you know what, he hit better than I thought he necessarily would have, or, or guys in other organizations thought he might have. Now, that said – and you can't read too much into the Fall League, but, you know, I, I, my, the highlight of my year almost was going to the Fall League and thinking two, two weeks the guys playing games. I was there for two weeks straight, and as much as I enjoyed the Fall League, I do think the pitching was probably the worst I've ever seen in the Fall League as a whole. It just it was not good. And, and you know, I mean, there are obvious reasons. But, I mean, basically, you don't send healthy pitchers there. You send guys to miss time during the season, and, if, you know, I'd say a normal year, usually cut off to, say, 120 innings. If, if your guys got their, their 120, 150 innings in, you don't send them to the fall league. They already pitched enough. And this year, because it was a short mileage season, it was more like if you pitch 80 to 100 innings, you didn't go to the fall league. And so the pitching was way down. And, again, he might have been tired. You know, I saw him play three or four times. I, I didn't see him do much. He hit 181 with 22 strikeouts, two walks, no homers, in 19 games. Um, you know, one of the worst performances. Again, you don't want to read too much in the fall sample size, but, I, I mean, could he be ready by the end of the season? Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't think, like, I think in an ideal world, he's only had 270 minor league at bats to this point. Um, you know, 340 if you want to count the quality. He really has not played much since the 2017-18 season in Cuba, which again, I mean, that's why, you know, I mean, I think in his 25 was positive element, but I think he needs a full season of that bat. Um, you know, now, granted, you know, maybe he goes out and just tears it up like Felice Robert did a couple of years ago. And, you know, after a couple of months, like, hey, we got to get these guys this big league. I think, realistically, you're looking at, at, at next year more than this year. If this year, I, I would say it'd be more the very tail end of the season.
1: The trio of prep pitchers the White Sox have taken in the last couple of years in the Major League Baseball draft, Jared Kelly, Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson, they were in the White Sox top 10 prospects after the 2021 season. Each of these pitchers struggled at Kannapolis and A-ball in 2021 in their first year in the minor leagues. Has their prospect shine faded after their poor 2021?
2: Um, I don't think terribly. I mean, I'm not making excuses for those guys, but you know, you know, it just I think you have to give, and I've tried to, Try to understand that that 2021 was an abnormal development year because 2020, there really wasn't any development outside of small point type stuff, and that's that's just not the same. And I mean, you look at those guys, and Matthew Thompson has pitched, what, two innings in his professional career. Two innings in 2019 in draft year, none in 2020. Dahlquist was, I think, three innings? In 2019, none in 2020. And Jerry Kelly, obviously, was drafted in 2020. So he didn't pick at all. So, and so I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but, like, I guess I give him a little bit more, you know, benefit of the doubt than I would have in a normal year. And, you know, they were all, you know, banged up a little bit at various times. Nothing serious. So, I mean, I, I'd say yes. I mean, their, their prospect status probably dim compared to what it was going into last year. But I still think it's way too early to – to draw, like, complete conclusions that, like, okay, these guys aren't going to work out. And I know that's not what you're saying, but, I mean, between the three of them, they've pitched less than, what, 200 innings total in in pro ball. And I think the oldest of them is, what, Andrew Dahlquist turned, or Matthew Thompson turned 21 last August. So, I mean, they're all going to be 21 or 20 this season. So, I I just, I'm trying not to jump too many conclusions. I mean, I know I said that we haven't updated our list, And we had those guys ranked 5, 6, 7. I mean, I think they probably all are going to high rank in the top 10 still. I I don't think the rankings are going to be too different um, than they were, you know, when we updated them last August.
1: We are going to take a quick moment for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, Jim Callis will share his thoughts regarding White Sox prospects Norje Vera, Jose Rodriguez, and the upcoming 2022 Major League Baseball draft class. So the two prospects that have garnered my attention the most after 2021 and the things that I'm hearing is right-handed pitcher Norhe Vera and shortstop Jose Rodriguez. Starting with Vera, this is going to be his first year pitching in the States. What do you hear when talking to people about the White Sox farm system as far as what could be Vera's potential?
2: Yeah, he's got good potential. Now, I I will say, I think... It, 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 again, this is such a normal development year. I think he, I mean, he was talented to begin with. I mean, look, when they signed him, I mean, I, feel old, I saw his dad play several years when I was covering, you know, <laughs> versus Cuba in the 90s. But he's got a good fastball. He's got, you know, good potential breaking stuff. You know, the, the, the changeup and, and command are going to need some time. But, you know, like, they're not terrible. Like, you know, he's just a young pitcher. And all that said, You see a lot of Cubans because of visa issues or bonus, you know, slash tax issues, um, you know, go to the Dominican Summer League. And the Dominican Summer League is essentially a lot of high school-age players, honestly. And, you know, Vera was, what, 21 last year. I mean, he shouldn't have been in that league. So, yeah, he looked great. struck out 34-19 innings. But to me, that's like spring training stats or instructional league stats. They don't really mean anything to me. But I do think – because, again, small sample size, his numbers were spectacular. He didn't give up an earned run. He looks comparatively better than the three pitchers we just talked about who were in low A, and I don't think that's really fair. I'm not, you know, I mean, if, if you put Gary Kelly in the Dominican Summer League, I think Gary Kelly probably would have dominated too. Now, that said, you know, Vera's got a big-time fastball. Like, the, you know, he's got, you know, the the, the breaking stuff's promising. You know, it could be a plus flatter when it's all said and done. He needs to work on the changeup in and control. I'm intrigued by him. I am basically looking at it as he's kind of making his pro debut for, for all intents and purposes this year. So mm-hmm. I would not, and I, I'm not saying you've done this. I mean, I know my, my friends at BA, I think, had, had Vera three ahead of all those guys. I, I wouldn't elevate him above those other guys yet because I think he's the oldest of all, too, isn't he?
1: He is, yeah.
2: And you know, by a full year. And so, yes, he was spectacular in the DSL. But I, I just don't think you can read anything into that. So I'm intrigued by him. But, then again, I'm not trying to central <laughs> water in Vera. But, I mean, look, we talked about, you know, Jerry Kelly. We were both excited when the White Sox got him, you know. That was potential first round on, and they got him in the second round, and he's got mm-hmm. a big-time fastball and a great changeup, and he's advanced, and he didn't do too well in Low LA. And, I like Jared Kelly more than Norje Vera going into last year, you know, based on the scouting reports we've heard. So I'm intrigued by Norje Vera. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not driving that bandwagon yet. I, I need to see him against real pro-caliber hitters to
1: donate. Jose Rodriguez, maybe one of the best performing minor leaguers the White Sox had in 2021. Romy Gonzalez also had an excellent season and eventually reached Chicago for a brief moment. And Rodriguez started in Kannapolis and he did finish in Birmingham. And when watching Rodriguez, you know, there are people that call him Popeye because of the size of his forearms. And every time we hear someone talk about Rodriguez from the White Sox perspective, there's glowing reports. Is he someone that's on the rise within the White Sox farm system, Jim?
2: Yeah. To me, again, I haven't, on our list yet, just because of the odd <laughs> circumstances of the lockout. I think you can make a case mm-hmm. that he could be. Well, I mean, if you wanted to argue based on performance and what you're looking for of his position, I think you could argue you could make a case that he's our number one prospect. I mean, he's proven more than Montgomery. He, he is in for more power and I was just going to say I, I would probably rank him number three in their system off the top of my head. I, I haven't done all the work I'm going to do, so it doesn't necessarily mean he'll be there. But, I mean, he, he's a guy who performed in his U.S. debut in 2019. Um, he was impressive there. He performed pretty well when I saw him in the in, in the fall league. I don't think it's it, – it, it, like he's not a gold glove shortstop with a cannon arm, but I think he can get the job done in shortstop and make the plays he needs to. And he's he's not going to be a big steel guy, but he's not very many. I I think that you have a chance to have an above-average offensive shortstop with otherwise average tools. I I do think he's for real. Um, you like to see him tighten his strike zone a a little bit as well. But, I mean, I I think the White Sox showed you what they think of him. I mean, here's a guy who was 19 at the start of last season, right, I think, and and turned 20 in May. And – you know They moved him pretty aggressively, I and mean, his performance merited it. I mean, he got to double A. It was just a handful of games at the end of the year. I mean, he performed very well high A. They to the fall league. Um, so I, I think he, he's legit. I mean, he'd be the guy. I mean, yeah, I think he'd have to be. Well, him, you mentioned Romy Gonzalez, too. Maybe he would be Romy Gonzalez. But Romy Gonzalez. Know, was he on your radar at all, Josh Lappers, going in last time? No. Yeah, mine either. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say that maybe Jose Rodriguez, has improved his stock on any White Sox prospect in 2021. And then I guess maybe we should give that nod to Torcheroni. But um, but with, with Jose Rodriguez, um, yes, I, I think he's legit. I, I think, the, you know, the White Sox are very confused about him. I've talked to people in our organization who are impressed with him. He, he looked good in the fall league. He wasn't tired after a long season and, and just being 20. And like I said, I mean, I think – I mean, if you wanted to – if, you, if you, could, you could make an argument for him being an up one prospect, and I would probably put him – Number two or three on their list. If I was doing it off the top of my head today,
1: all right. So, continuing the conversation regarding Rodriguez, the 2022 Chicago White Sox have World Series aspirations. They got a hole in right field, they got a hole at second base, and they may need to find another starting pitcher with Carlos Rodan possibly signing elsewhere. Is Rodriguez the most interesting trade prospect from a perspective outside of the White Sox organization? or are there any other prospects when you look at the White Sox farm system that you think that another team would possibly want in a trade?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely high on that list. I mean, I think you get – I i wouldn't be surprised if he had more trade value than ULT's success for this. I've just talked to people outside organizations who are, who are a little bit mixed on ULT. Um And I think the White Sox I, – I don't know if they'd be more reluctant to part with ULT, but obviously they think highly of him. I mean, I, I think if you trade a Colton Montgomery or West half, they'd be interesting, but because Jose's already gotten to double A, even just for four games, he performs well, and there's on the fall league, he, I mean, you, I think you could already, he might have more trade value. I mean, that's what he might, maybe he's your answer to second. I mean, I, I think realistically, he's, played, he's got double A, but he's played four games, so he's probably not going to be ready this year, but maybe he's your second base of the future for the White Sox.
1: Hmm. That would be very interesting. Alright, so for the White Sox farm system, they need more talent. Yes, they did sign Oscar Colas. He is 23 and a half years old. He's old. He needs to hit right away. That's just my perspective. I am I am very interested in Eric Hernandez, but again, it may be a couple of years before we see him on the state side. Which means that the next time that the White Sox have an opportunity to add talent into their farm system is the Major League Baseball draft. and college baseball's opening day, is next weekend, which really ramps up the conversation about the 2022 draft class. You said that you felt old uh talking about Norhe Vera and his dad. Uh, let's talk about Drew Jones, uh, the son of Andrew Jones. Uh, and just watching as far as his highlight videos and whatever content that I can get a hold on, uh, especially on YouTube, he's pretty impressive, is he going to be the number one guy for teams looking at the major league baseball draft class? Is he the number one prospect?
2: He's number one on our list. I do think it's more wide open than it's been in a while this year. Um, But I agree with you. I saw him the first time when I, when I did the broadcast of the high school all America game, Mm -hmm. which was the Friday before the all-star game and the draft last July. And I was just blown away by him And he kind of looks like you'd imagine his dad looked. His dad must have looked when he was 18. I mean, granted, his dad was get two home runs in a World Series game when he was 19 years old. So I'm not saying Drew's going to speak to that. But, no, I mean, he has a chance to – I mean, I think we gave him – and we try to be, like, a little conservative grades, but, like, you know, on the 20 down a scale where 50's average, 60's plus, and 70 is plus-plus, I think we went maybe 55 hits 60 power, 70 runs, 70 arms, 70 defense. He's. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, we went 65 on the arm. I'm exaggerating. Um, but he uh, <laughs> he looks unbelievable in center field. The, the power's so easy. He's 6'4, 180. He's going to get stronger. He can really run. The interesting thing, I don't think anybody's going to move him, but he's like like the best defensive outfielder in this draft. But guys say he looks really smooth taking ground balls at shortstop. And the private hmm. school he goes to, Jeff yes, Bowser's kid plays shortstop, and Jeff Bowser's kid's a really good shortstop. So Drew Jones runs around and catches everything, like basically from foul pole to foul pole in the outfield. But um, uh, like you get almost three months of Jones being a shortstop, But, like it'll be interesting because you have you have him, you have Termar Johnson, he's another Georgia high school kid who mm-hmm. might be the best pure high school hitter I can remember. Um, you have Elijah Green, who's got better tools. Both those guys have some swing and miss issues, and then you have a bunch of college bats like, Jacob Barry at LSU, who's who's kind of like a switch hitting Andrew Vaughn. You have Brooks Lee at Cal Poly, who's, who's another switch hitter who maybe doesn't stay at short, but he can really hit and he'll put someone in the infield. You have Jace Young, whose older brother Josh was the eighth overall pick in draft a couple of years ago. Um, Brock Jones at Stanford, the former safety. Chase Delouders, kind of sleeper. James Madison. I, I honestly could see if you told me today that six months from now, one, you know, like any of those guys was number one pick, I can believe it. It's a really deep position player crop, um, and I do think it's quite up. Now, all that said, I, I, as of today, I would take Drew Jones'
1: symbol. Yeah, the, the prep bats are very impressive. The college bats are also very impressive. The college pitching class. All right, Jim, this was not a deep class to begin with, and the injury bug is making – it much weaker, some significant injuries as some of the top college pitch, pitching arms are either missing the season or their seasons are going to be delayed due to injury. What do you think the strength lies position-wise for college players in this upcoming class? Because I, I, when I'm looking at these names and been covering them the last couple of years, I like the college catchers in this class. Is there a specific position group that you like best so far before the season starts?
2: Um, yeah. I, mean, I think you could, you could, you could say catchers because you have guys like Kevin Parada and Logan Tanner and Daniel Susack. You could, if you can do a broad category and say infielders, you got Jacob Berry and Brooks Lee and Gates Young and Robert Moore and maybe Carter Young and, and some others. Um, the outfielders are pretty good too. You know, the outfielders I mentioned Chase louder, Brock Jones, Gavin Cross, um, Dylan Beavers, Jordan Bat. I mean, so I, I guess I'm saying all <laughs> the players are good. I, I think it's a super, super deep position player group. And, and you're right that I, I tweeted the other day on the pitchers in our top 41 prospects on our draft top 100, there's one. Healthy college pitcher who has started a game in college, and that's Nelson Wisdom of VCU at 26. You, you do have Logan Sims who was the closer at Mississippi State last year who's going to start this year. I mean, I mean, Landon Sims. I'm combining him with Logan Tanner, his catcher. So Landon Sims, he's healthy. But I mean, you have Blake Cedarwell's got shoulder issues at Tennessee. Connor Prelip had Tommy John surgery. He's not going to pitch this year at Alabama. Peyton Palet at Arkansas tried to avoid surgery. He had Tommy John surgery. He's done for the year. Reggie Crawford, Connecticut, looks like he could plant those guys. He looked great with, you know, staying a brief with last year. He had Tommy John surgery. Kumar Rocker didn't have surgery, but he's not going to return to Vanderbilt. He might see him pitch in ball. Henry Williams, the Duke was pushed his way in the first round. He had Tommy John surgery. The college pitching class is wide, wide
3: open. Yeah,
1: speaking of Kumar Rocker, how do you rank him in this year's draft class? Because for those that watch college baseball, You know who Kumar Rocker is, and he has this excellent track record. He didn't sign with the Mets. There's this injury concern. Now he's 22 years old. If you still believe in this stuff with all these injuries, you could make the case that maybe he is the best of the college age pitchers that are available in this draft class. But there are some question marks heading into this draft class and where Rocker fits. How did you guys negotiate and work that out to put Rocker in your rankings?
2: Well, it's funny because we always get a lot of feedback. We try to do a lot of feedback when we're, we're ranking guys. And, and Kumar, I think everybody disagrees with our ranking of like we just thought we had him too high or too low. There was the Nixon Post, so we ranked him number thirty. We kind of put him. he stashed with Peyton Pult and Reggie Crawford in a group of injured pitchers. or injured, and he did, like, You're right. He didn't have surgery. And he didn't, he didn't, I mean, it isn't so much he chose not to sign with the Mets. The Mets pulled their offer at the end. The Mets offered him $0. So, if Kumar would have signed for $0, the Mets would have taken him on. Or the Mets probably still wouldn't have, they wanted to thick that. But, he, <laughs> it is guesswork for him, honestly, right now, because we don't know what, what his health status is. We don't know, nobody knows what the Mets saw that hasn't become public that made the Mets pull their offer and offer him $0. He, you know, a lot was made. His velocity fluctuated at times last year, and it, and it did. Jack Leiter's velocity fluctuated. There was a three-season, a three-start stretch in midseason season where Jack Leiter gave up eight home runs and then missed his next start. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of pitchers, their velocity will fluctuate during the year. You know, you didn't see, you know, Kumar throwing 96, 98 every outing. But I would submit that Kumar doesn't throw 96, 98 every outing. You know, the guy who, who threw the 19-breakout no-hitter against Duke, who was called World Series MVP. As a freshman, he finished the year strong, but it's not like Kumar did that the whole year. And I think in some ways real expectations are a little unrealistic for him. But you know, where he's going to go in the draft, we aren't going to know. I mean, he is, my, I, I think we all assume he's going to pitch a full outing in, like, independent league, maybe even the draft week or something next spring at some point. He's going to have to. And teams are going to have to take a hard look at his medicals, which have not been shared right now. Uh, only the Mexican doctor knows what he saw. Um, I had not been able to pin down exactly what the Mets thought. I heard a million different rumors. So I think until we see what the stuff looks like next spring and teams get a handle on exactly what they think is going on with his arm, it's hard to say. And, you know, like if it's his elbow and you're worried that his elbow might blow out, I think, you know, in general people feel pretty good about guys coming back to Tommy John surgery. You know, Walker Buehler, Luke you know, Gunnar Hogland was a mid-first round pick last year after having Tommy John surgery. So that would be one thing, like if he's got – and I'm just guessing. I have no insight. Like let's say he has like a tear in his shoulder or there's something that looks bad in his shoulder, then that would be totally different. But like it's – you know, Kumar came out throwing 96 last next year and his medicals were clean, which I don't know how they'd be clean and the Mets just walk away from him, but let's just say whatever. They resolve themselves. Kumar could go at the very top of the draft. And if he doesn't look as good and the medicals are scary – he might go in the second or third round. Um, but yeah, I, I, he's one you just kind of rank and you're guessing because it's not like all these college pitchers, you know, the Peyton Poulette and Reggie Crawford and Connor like at Tommy John surgery, and you know how teams feel about that. We,
1: we don't know what's going on with them. Well, that is very true. And you could read Jim Callis' work, he has a weekly mailbag on MLB.com. Follow him on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB to submit your questions. Uh, he'll try to answer any questions that you have regarding as far as the prospects and the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. And, of course, you can listen to the MLB Pipeline podcast along with Jim and Jonathan Mayo wherever you subscribe to podcasts. This should be a pretty interesting year uh, coming off of COVID still, and uh, it looks like minor League Baseball should be starting on time, and it'll be a big year for the White Sox prospects and their player development and, of course, the Major League Baseball draft. So, Jim, don't be a stranger. We'll chat with you soon as we get into the Minor League Baseball season. But thank you so much for hopping on the Sox Machine podcast and helping kick off prospect week for us.
2: I'm glad to. I appreciate you having me on. And like I said, I mean, I do think just because 2020 was still odd, like, I, I think we'll see not just in the White Sox system, but other systems. I think you'll see guys who had bad years last year bounce back strongly. You might see guys who had good years last year, you know, regress a little bit, you know, like, like they normally do. But I, I do think 2022, I don't think it'll be as volatile as 2021, but I think it'll be more volatile than a typical minor league season, if that makes sense. So, so, hopefully, by 2023, we'll be back to fairly normal. And, um... <laughs> and then be able to make you know draw stronger conclusions i guess
1: that will do it for this episode of the socks machine podcast thanks for listening and if you just discovered the socks machine podcast you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as apple music and spotify if you are new to socks machine or have been a longtime lurker think about becoming one of our patreon supporters this week our patreon supporters We'll get exclusive access to our prospect coverage, ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and the first opportunity to receive our new Sox Machine swag. Monthly plans start at $2, and our annual plans save 9%. I want to thank Patreon user Delvin for being one of our newest supporters, and Mark Cope, who has been supporting Sox Machine since 2018. You can sign up at patreon.com, Slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of Soxmachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.